everyone, Kareem Ray here. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Shane Fogato, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Savannah Clovers FC, which competes in the National Independent Soccer Association League, which is a third-tier pro soccer league in the United States. Shane, thank you for taking the time for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So how's, how's it going? Uh, it's going, you know, it's, uh, you know, being a new club in, uh, in the third tier um, in a city like Savannah, you know, it's got great things to it. There's definitely a lot of appealing factors, short term, medium term and long term, but it also has its challenges like any new business in a, in a very virgin um, environment in terms of its industry would have. So I would say all in all, you know, we, we're in it for the long term. So I think it's it's positive. Short term, it's like every business. You're figuring things out as you go along and you're making and you're adapting and um, you know, nothing too dissimilar to 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 what probably possibly other clubs in their first year of inception would go through. Absolutely. When you say long term, how long are we talking? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? You know what? It's always in, in, in such a fluid and and um liquid commercial market and environment these days. It's difficult to put a specific date and number on it, unfortunately. Um, but you know, we we're definitely looking at at a minimum of five years in terms of building the brand and uh, and the platform so that it can be at its absolute best. And then from there, where else would you expand, or how would you expand it? It'll be possibly another phase. So for now, we for now we're taking it a day at a time because we've got you know we've got matches and we've got a season. Our inaugural season, we've got to see that through, and um, we're busy making already plans for for year two, which is 2024, and so on. But uh, safe to say that five years would be would be the long term, considering the, the the macro environment at the moment. If it goes beyond that, then it's great. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask Shane is, how do you get involved in the beautiful game? Can you take us a little bit back in time and just share a little bit about that? Oh man, it's uh, it's since I've been very, 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 very young. So I was I was brought up in Portugal, um, in a small in a small town, small village, right in the middle of the country. Um, I arrived there, um, you know, without without parents. Uh, I was taken in by my grandparents, so they didn't know how to speak Portuguese. I mean, they didn't know how to speak English at all. I and mean, it was a village, and nobody in the in the village knew how to speak. English either, and I didn't know how to speak Portuguese because I'd never been there. And I arrived there; I think it was about six or seven years old. Um, so, I mean, there's such a barrier in terms of culture, such a barrier in terms of of people, because I didn't know anybody, including the people that took me in. Um, and it, it was challenging. So, the one day I was, I happened to just be sitting on on you know by myself on the corner of the playground, and a soccer ball came and landed next to me. And as that soccer ball landed next to me, I I sort of froze and I looked up and I saw all these all these other boys moving. They were moving towards me and they were looking at me and looking at the ball. And I realized, hold on, they want the ball. But if I've got the ball, then maybe, you know, this is my barrier to 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 maybe make some friends. So I grabbed the ball, I kicked it. Some kids ran after it and started playing and others just pushed me on and said, no, come play. And uh, the base, the fact that I got embraced by such a simple thing, you know, a round piece of leather, and all of a sudden I had friends, it started meaning something to me. And then from there, I've been involved in the game in, in very different, in many different ways from, you know, from coaching right from under sixes all the way up to 
collegiate level and assistant um, senior pro level, um, scouting, consulting, um, management level. Oh man, I mean, it passed every possible area. I mean, even as helping out in some certain negotiations between club mergers and acquisitions, player arrivals, agent, agency and player and parent intermediation, um, you know, setting up youth academies in, in certain markets or being the advisor to some of those projects. Um, the, I've pretty much done the full circle in terms of most things that can be done in the game. Um, and um, and it's been a great, I mean, it's been a phenomenal journey. I, I can't I can't complain about the fun and uh, and even the challenges that came with it. But uh, that's pretty much it in a in a brief nutshell. Yeah, such a cool, unique story, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's so organic and so cool. I would saying that, um, you know, how did you get the opportunity to uh, be the CEO at Savannah Clovers FC, and what is your long-term vision for the club? Um, so one of the one of the personal visions I had and have um, with regards to to football or let's say soccer, like it's called here in the United States, um, is um, is to is to create a multi-club um, ownership platform that focuses on niche markets um, that are not really being being seen by you know by the bigger companies or the bigger clubs, but the, those same clubs can't live without them. So you know we've. We started with a club in Ghana as as the company that I'm with. So I managed to get an investment through a, you know, a group of individuals that believed in the project. Uh, it started in Ghana, actually, sort of middle of COVID 2021. Um, set it all up via you know via the via Zoom. Actually, I couldn't we couldn't travel, but because I had extensive dealings in Ghana through you know my my just all my other soccer related interactions. I had a good idea of the landscape. I had a very good um, network there, so we managed to put something together um, that's quite special, which is now running in it, into its second full season of operation. Um, the other one was to try and get into the United States, um, simply to to bridge a gap between Central South America and create an entry level into into the United States. But first, we'd want to set something up, almost I wouldn't say bulletproof, but relatively foolproof. To be able to then create that corridor, but also be in an environment that has a tremendous amount of commercial potential, a tremendous, uh, a, a massive feel of community, a massive feel of of engagement in what is going on, um, so that we could build something organic long term. Um, so when we, when I started looking at you know the landscape in the United States at the time, you know obviously MLS. It's got a completely different profile in terms of what they're looking for and where they are. Um, the USL, we we explore that possibility as well um, as to where could we, couldn't we? But in Savannah, that wasn't a possibility. Um, when when then I got hold of NISA um, and I found out about their business model, we felt, listen, okay, this is this could work. You know, um, they had one or two other markets as well that were not yet accounted for, but we, you know, based on the research that I did of of Savannah and one or two other places, it just seemed the most likely place to be um, for a whole host of reasons. And um, then I met with with uh, Brian Sykes, who is the founder when it was still in its amateur stages. Um, Jeff Default, which uh, was a partner to Brian in in the in the previous 
um, era of the club. We had conversations mediated by Nisa. Um, we sort of, you know, explored and explained to each other what it would look like and why. Um, and then, yeah, then the rest is history. We here. Yeah, amazing. So, can you just share some of those benefits? You said, you know, at the stage that you were searching for a market, you know, can you share some of the benefits that you saw in Savannah that you said, yes, this is a market that I want to tap into and uh, be here for the long term for five years and build this out? Yes. So, you know, due, due to what took place during the COVID time, um, there's obviously always, you know, your spin offs, your good and your bad. One of the positives, if I were to look at it from an outsider and from just looking at numbers, is that uh, you know the southeast region is literally exploding? It's booming, um, second to nothing else. And I'm I'm even going as far as saying even South Carolina, even North Carolina, and Georgia, is 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 not second to any of those. Um, obviously, having already a massive club in in northern part of Georgia, you know it it almost it almost eliminates any possibility of organic growth and following. Then the next best place would be would be Savannah. Savannah is is incredibly has uh, got an incredible character of its own. It's very very unique. Um, it's got a, a, a very young median population. It's got a very good uh, median average salary. It's got a, a lot of students, a lot of uh, universities. Um, it's got a lot of a lot of real estate development taking place. Uh, and it's and it's ripe for something like this. It's ripe for our type of model. If you look at the other pro sports or high level sports properties in Savannah, they're non competing with us because they don't belong. It's not a soccer related um, property. One is the the baseball, which they've done exceptionally well, and they've also grown organically through the support of the community. Um, if you look at uh, ice hockey, it's also third tier, and they've had a very positive first season. Um, so we felt that the timing was right um, for us to get involved in a city and in an area and in a community that is not only welcoming, but everything else in and around it, the infrastructure, the real estate, the mindset, the level of investment going in there, Hyundai's uh, you know, three or four billion dollar plant and all sorts of other investments just warrant us making it here at the right time because there is nothing like this in the area. So for us... Obviously, it comes with its risks because it is a virgin place to our to our um, sport in terms of high level sport. But um, we looked at the pros and the cons, and it was one of those things where you say, "Right, well, we don't know what we don't know, but let's let's go for it based on the right things." Yeah, just tapping a little bit back in regards to Ghana. You know, when I hear you know things going on overseas. Not on the European side, but more so on the African side. You know, I'm very foreign to it. And, um, you know, can you just share a little bit more about that investment? And, you know, you know, like why would you get your get yourself into that investment? And, you know, kind of like what are the benefits of that? I understand, that, uh, you know, being able to um, provide that pathway to the U.S., but, uh, you know, I, I want to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, so so initially Ghana was put together, and I would say possibly still now, with the main objective what wasn't really to use the USA pathway. It was from there to obviously go into to Europe. Mm. Um, Ghana has has a tremendous num high number number of high high ca highly capable athletes. They they from a physical point of view. 
that West African region is 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 just on a on a very different level, just genetically. Um, they 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 still they still run the same model of of many of many countries years ago, where every in every corner you see kids playing on the street soccer with whatever whatever can roll, they'll play soccer with it. Um, there's a there's a completely different level of intelligence naturally from a Ghanaian player. Physically, they're very astute. It's a very well structured league, very well organized league. Um, it's it's uh, very well managed in all the different layers. It's very clear to understand. Um, and for us, we looked at it as as also the fact that it's one of the markets that's had the most success in having high level and high quality players playing in Europe. Um, so. We, we've developed a, a model where we got there into the third tier, just like we did with Nisa. We got into the third tier with the objective of getting a very young team promoted into the second tier. We're currently playing playoffs. We'll play this Sunday um, pretty much the semi-final. And if we win the following week, we play the final. We've got the youngest um, professional team in the whole of Ghana, where our average age is 19.7. Um, our strike is 17, only turning 18 in December. And he's scoring goals amongst men. Um, and now in the playoffs, the first game, he scored a goal as well. Um, and then we have also started our academy where we've got kids 13, 15 and 17 years old that we handpicking to go through our system as well. Um, the objective with Ghana is, is, is very much the creation of a high-level professional structure in a very third-world environment with, so that we can turn that potential into a higher-level potential um, and and move them on. Obviously, Portugal would be great. Otherwise, you know, the, the United States would also be fantastic because not every player can play in a in a European country. And we also don't know every single club so that we can literally place players everywhere. But it's an exciting project. You know, our technical director is the past national team coach of Ghana. Our head coach is a very experienced and very well, um, a very knowledgeable person in coaching players of a certain age, which is what we aim for. Um, we've got a fantastic team there that's done tremendously well in a short space of time. We started this, the club there from nothing. That club didn't exist. We put it together from absolutely nothing. I, I, I still scouted um, a substantial number of the players we have today and uh, and very involved in a project which is exceptionally exciting. It's very different to 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 Savannah. Savannah, there's a possible commercial element to it. Um, you know, there's no promotion relegation. Um, there's a whole lot of different legislations in the United States. So the United States poses a different, uh, its challenges on its own and its benefits. Um, and so does Ghana. But the main reason from going into Ghana is just because of the, just the fluid talent pool there, a very well structured and capable um, footballing environment. Um, and just the known success of a number and a myriad of Ghanaian players playing actively in, in, in the main leagues and clubs of Europe over the past 15, 20 years. Yeah, understood. I remember, do you mind if I share something with you quickly? Yeah. I remember hearing a story from a USL championship player from, you know, uh, a place like, uh, like on or, or somewhere close by and You know, someone saw him from the US and said, Hey, you're a really good player spoke to the family. Can I bring him over? Brought him to the US got him into UCLA. And now he's playing in the USL championship. So when, when I heard that story first, I said, Wow, I said, that is, I said, it's pretty cool. It's powerful. Um, yeah. And it's exciting to to just continue to learn more from yourself about this as well. Um, mm -hmm. Tapping back into Nisa, how long was the process to uh, get into Nisa, and then how long did it take from once you guys got in to 
get to kick off? Um, the NISA process itself wasn't too long. Um, I would actually say it was very quick. Um, it took about between initial conversations and having our application approved, I would say three to, let's say five months. It was about five months, all in all, the entire process. Yeah. Um, which is, I think it started in, in July um, 2021. And then our application process got approved um, in December 2021 as well. So it's about five months. Um, we then decided to, to to not participate in 2022. We wanted to build our structure. We wanted to acquaint ourselves with the environment. We wanted to do things relatively organically because, once again, it's it's a market that's very virgin to professional sports. So the acquisition of of IP locally was never really gonna really gonna happen. It was a question of going through what the environment had that would be suitable um, and also high level, had a high level potential for us to work with at an admin level, at a, at a technical level, because not just the players should be at a developmental age and, 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 and stage in their life, but also our staff. You know, we want our staff to, to use this as the bridge to get from where they are and where they want to be, because this is a developmental club. That's what we are. Um, so we, we needed to, to get a full year of getting this right. Obviously, I, I, I hadn't been in the country really. I needed to also come in country, meet with the people, understand the environment, um, and build what we have today. And like I said earlier, um, it still has its challenges, and they're not bad ones. It's just growing pains which every club goes through. So the NISA process was was quick. Um, it was our decision not to enter in 2022. We had that as an option. We decided to use it to to put our our ducks in a row and to get ready for 23. Understood. Can you paint a picture, take us through step by step what the process is for, for for myself and for future club owners watching this video? So you guys, you know, you guys spoke to NISA, said this was the, the, the league. You guys went through NISA's application and then what else happens? Is there, do you guys got to go through U.S. soccer? Is there FIFA involved? Yeah, there's a whole, one thing is applying for NISA. So you apply to NISA, they've got their criteria and their requirements, the Board of Governors. Then obviously, um, if you tick all those boxes, the Board of Governors and the league then vote you in, you know, based on the criteria you've shared and they've accepted. Then after that, yes, you do go through a, a pro league task force with the United States Soccer Federation. There's uh, th there's a whole lot of things that you have to abide by um, to be able to then actually compete um, in in a professional league uh, from an administrative point of view, safety point of view, field, um, you know, insurance items, qualifications of your coaches and of certain staff, um, you know, certain policies and regulations you also have to sign off and commit to before they give you the the thumbs up from a, a federation point of view to compete. So so the NISA part is is I would say halfway in terms of the process and the United States Federation is is the other half. But from a from a waiting point of view, I mean the United States Soccer Federation gives the final vote. If they feel that you meet all the minimum criteria at least to qualify for a professional competition then you're good to go. How long was that process for you guys? Um, look, we decided to take a year on purpose because we didn't know. We, I mean, none of us within the club 
had experience in doing this. So we, we didn't we didn't want to rush through anything and miss out on detail and then spend time and money and not come and not compete if we were gonna do it so quickly. So we gave ourselves a year. I would say the entire process, if it were to be done for us to compete in 2022, I think it would have been around about, I would say about a, a three to four month process at the most. Understood. You mentioned, you know, being a part of the club, for, you know, growing the club for the next five years. Where do you see that, you know, within five years, what do you guys see accomplishing in that time frame? Look, with what our eyes set on, on establishing this specific team we have now, which is the men's pro Nisa, we, uh, you know, we, as a philosophy for the vision that we have is we want to have a very, very young and competitive team. We want to use the third division the, or the third tier of football to bring players as early as possible in their career to play professional because then they stand a bigger chance to live a professional soccer playing life and to be seen by clubs and by themselves as a much bigger commercial asset from a footballing point of view. Um, so the idea is to the idea is to be a destination, um, high level and high quality professional soccer destination for young hopeful athletes that have that have the potential to go beyond NISA, uh, you know, beyond USL, MLS or more. Um, and we would like to become the incubator of that environment. We think the city is good enough for that. We think our 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 ethos and way of working is definitely good enough for that. Um, the background that we have of, of you know with regards to uh, youth development and setting up structures that promote um, the young footballer is what we're displaying at the moment um, in terms of scouting and recruiting. I think I believe we've got probably the youngest team in the league right now. Um, irrespective of the results, we want to try and stick to what we believe in because we think that's where that's where the differentiator is. Um, and then obviously the women's game is something we're really, really looking into quite quite seriously. Um, we want to perhaps look into that already this coming year and start in a in a in a structured amateur league in the build-up for 2025, where we would most likely have a um, have a team competing professionally. In the women's game, the next steps would be, uh, you know, would be establishing along the way a, a high-level elite um, youth environment, so that we can sort of incubate our own youth and get them through our pathway sooner rather than later. And um, once again, that requires time, structure, scouting, recruiting, um, and a proper and a, and a proper network inland to to account for their studies, for their well-being, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and ultimately, I think what what most clubs desire, you know, to have your own home, you know, to have your own, to have your a stadium that you can call home, the stadium that is is that you dependent on and is dependent on you one hundred percent, and and you can leverage a lot of other things through. Um, those are, you know, those are the the main milestones from a high level point of view. You guys already have those relationships in place with the with the city, uh, with the government, in in order to you know find land, you know. What do they call tax-free land? Um, yeah, something along those lines. So, look, we, we haven't started those conversations because we're very new in the environment, and we we've got we need to establish ourselves first as a brand, as people. Um, like I mentioned, I'm I'm very new in the environment. Um, you know, and everything is new to me. So, you know, building relationships, being trustworthy, being honourable um, is not just important because it is Savannah. It's just important in general. 
and 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 we'll rather establish that first before we start, you know, waving flags that uh, we just we're just not ready for as a club. Um, you know, if things change in the short term and and the and the club takes another, um, you know, takes a different viewpoint based on. Um, any sort of involvement from a third party or somebody coming in, yes, that does change. But I can only speak of the now. And the right now is we, we dedicated to building our brand, to, to serving each other internally to get the best out of one another um, and to be responsible to the values and, the, and, the, and to the integrity of the community and the city itself, which it's built on. And I think from there, you know, we can, we can definitely achieve good things such as you know, approaching key people because those key people would have realized that there's something here, there's something worthwhile, um, you know, being a part of and investing or or opening doors for. Um, and that, I suppose, comes with its time and at the right time. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's it's really good. You guys you, you are not rushing into things. You guys are taking your time building it out, doing it the right way. So that's, that's really good to hear. What are, you know, three expenses... Um, in the financial model that are that's burning cash fast for you guys? Look, the travel is a big thing, um, you know, because NISA, the NISA, and it's not a NISA, I don't, I don't want to sound like this is a NISA problem. It's just the landscape at the moment. So, you know, there's clubs from, uh, you know, Rochester, Michigan, um, um, Tennessee, Florida, California. So it's quite widespread. As you can imagine, and and the traveling is quite intense because some of these teams we play them away two or three times, so you know, the the travel is 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 challenging, but it would be for any club anyway. If you look at any club's budget, MLS, USL, it sits right there in terms of a big a big uh, operating expenditure contributor. Um, the other thing I would say, the other thing I would say. Obviously, salaries salaries always always play a big role. I mean, you have to pay salaries. You got to, people on the ground have to work and earn their living. You know, there's ways of sort of mitigating some of those costs as the season goes along and you become a bit wiser. But you got to pay your players, you got to pay your coaches, you got to pay your your backroom staff. That comes without saying. So those those two, I would say, going hand in hand as your biggest operating expenses on the month to month. other than that, you have always have once-off costs when you sign for lease agreements for you know your players to stay in. You know you've got to you've got to sign for those. You've got to put down a deposit and your first month's rent. So that's a that's a bit of a balloon that you pay when you sign these things up. Um, other than that, uh, other than that, it's yeah, it's, it's relatively standard. Eh? It, uh, the 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 more you the better or the more you want to grow your environment, either you want star players because you want to attract a, a, a certain commercial revenue to the business, those star players are going to cost you, right? Um, or if you want highly experienced players because you want to win and you want to compete to win titles, that comes with its costs as well. Um, so our business model is a bit different to that. We prepare a compromise in the short term on achieving performance-wise to be able to build our structure, right? Um, and then achieve those numbers as we go along without compromising what we want to do. So what would you say is the biggest challenge that you guys are facing right now? Um, the challenge, I would say the biggest challenge we're facing right now is that we're very, very new. Um, so, and we're not in a, we're not in a, a, a soccer destination um, environment. So where we are, the, the talent pool isn't as rich as you would go to New York or to an Orlando or Miami or a, or um, 
Los Angeles, just to mention some, um, you know, it's it's not that ripe yet. So all our players have to come from outside this environment, which is a cost contributor because we need to house them rightfully. So, so the fact that we're not yet a destination, the fact that the 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 talent pool where we are isn't the same as some of the other clubs we play against. I mean, we play against two two Michigan teams that have substantial talent pool within the immediate environment. We play against two um, California teams that also have a substantial talent pool where they are. We play then a team from from Florida that has as its base Orlando, but plays in Daytona. They've got a fantastic talent pool. So it's a lot, it's a lot more at arm's length as opposed to us. Um, I would say, I would say that we're very young. We, we, we need to be on the soccer map. We need to be a bit more of an attraction point, um, which I know we will be, but over and above that is just, it's just attracting the right talent, um, which all has to come from outside the city. There's not, there's nothing close by. Understood. What would you say, you know, we got the 2026 world cup coming up, which is huge. How do you see this affecting your club in a positive way? The general awareness of of soccer is of, it's just going up and up and up and up and up, you know. So we obviously going to ride that wave. I mean, everyone has to in the United States that's involved in soccer. Uh, we uh, you know we want to promote the game in Savannah as much as possible. We're using every bit of time that we have off the field to engage in a whole lot of different initiatives to promote soccer um, to all to all different, um, you know, demographics, creeds, races, et cetera, because it is, it is a sport that transcends any, any, any color or any um, financial um, status. It's, it's a sport that anyone can play. So we, we're going to make the absolute most of it, considering the fact that, you know, the semifinal is earmarked to be in Atlanta and Atlanta is relatively close to us. Um, we, we're going to strategize around that and see how we can position ourselves as a club a little bit differently and 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 benefit from whatever's happening as much as possible but in general just the just being part of of the hype and delivering um soccer at the best possible level um in the city i think that's our responsibility to represent professional soccer to the city so that they can be a part of it and contribute to what will be a tremendous event for this country how many fans do you guys currently have coming out the games now Look, we it's it's been topsy turvy up until now because we've had some very 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 adverse weather in in a lot of our matches. Our opening game it was fantastic. We're just over two thousand um, in our opening first ever pro game in Savannah against last season's champions, Michigan Stars, and it was a good game. We drew one one, um, and we had fantastic crowd. It was a fantastic event, and then all the games after that, barring this past weekend's one. We just had tremendous amount of rain, but like excessive rain where, you know, we 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 gave a lot of value to the few fans that came out. There were a few that came out, but they couldn't sustain it past the half time. Um, so it's it's difficult. I'll, if I give you a number, it's very, very, very affected by the extreme weather we've had. So if I give you the number of the two good weather days we've had, and between both games, we had uh, just over 3,100. Um, if I give you the average of the bad weather games, we had an average of 420. Understood, yeah. Um, there was a question I was going to ask, but it kind of left my mind. Oh, what has been the top two revenue uh, generators for you guys? Uh, you don't have to mention numbers, uh, but... Yeah. 
Look, I mean, it's it, it's in line with with our uh, revenue projections when we built them in terms of what those would be. The values, obviously, is a different is a different conversation. But match day, you know, match day still remains our our main source of 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 revenue generation. Um, and yes, the fact that we've had four games that were in adverse weather, even though those are that's our main target for revenue, it obviously was affected. And then. Um, and then sponsorships, obviously, sponsorships, as you could imagine, you know, drive every sport, any any entertainment business. So between sponsorships and match day revenue, those are by far our main ones, which we're trying to capitalize on. You've got merchandise that's sitting, I would say, somewhat a distant third for now. Um, but those are the top two. Understood. Um I'll do second last question. Can you share? Any memorable moments or achievements of the club that you've uh, been a part of so far? Um, look, I'd have to. The first, the opening game, I think, was tremendous for the city. The opening game was very special. The first goal scored, the first professional soccer game. The team coming out of the green kit, um, you know, and 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 waving at the fans, people taking photos. I mean, that was unique. That was unique. That was special. That was embracing. And, and that did put a warm, fuzzy feeling in everyone's heart. And I'm talking from the broadcasting crew right through to the security personnel and the EMS personnel. You know, I mean, everyone was just so pleasantly overwhelmed um, that this actually happened, you know. And, and for the city, once again, he has a professional sports uh, sports um, um, business that is starting. Um, I think they felt proud and we felt proud of, of being able to, to start. Um, the the other one I would say was this past this past game that we had. You know, we've come from very very adverse weather on our match days, um, unfortunately. Um, and you know, the team that 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 I work with, I mean, they've been going out to every single game, pouring with rain, and they've been setting up as if the weather was perfectly. They've been putting everything that they have out there, you know, because we we don't want to compromise on delivering what the best that we have if we have control over it. And they've been tremendous. Everyone has been tremendous. And I think the fact that we did have one Saturday of good weather, um, um, it was so motivating and validating for them. And 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 it was probably the the best show we could have wanted in terms of of how everything flowed. Um, there was a good crowd again, um, and uh, the team unfortunately didn't get the three points. But I mean, they came they came in that second half and they showed so much valor so much um, determination, courage, showed accountability for trying to deliver to the fans and to the rest of the of the business, um, you know, just 100% effort. So I think I think those two, the very beginning and this very last one, gave everybody a very good feeling of what this could be um, and the potential that it is, and it validated a lot of the decision-making and the reasoning behind us being here. Nice. I know we're running out of time here. I want to ask you one quick one before we, you know, I want to ask you some fun questions too, but what's the exit? Is there an exit strategy uh, for the team after five years or? No, no, look, like I mentioned, to think beyond five years right now, it's, I think I would, I'd be creating an expectation that's not fair either on the people that I work with or or even on the city, because in you know, a five years, unfortunately, is it, it's not like it used to be years ago. Um, but we put five years as initial as initial um, as initial milestone. But 
if it goes beyond that, it goes beyond that in terms of a, a, a sellout, a buyout, a merger. A, we, we don't know what that looks like. We're just really starting and we're trying to build something that's worthwhile to the community, to possible people that would want to be involved. And even just for us as people that are involved in it every day, we want to be proud of what we're doing and know that we're building something unique and special. So what will it look like in five years? We've got an idea. Um, is it going to get there? Is it going to get there sooner? Um, is it going to get there later? That only time will tell. But we we fully committed to achieving um, special things. Got it. Some speed questions. So you got to answer them fast, Shane. Um, some fun ones, though. Who's your favorite soccer player or football player? Um, I was brought up in an era where I was a Spartan. I was a Spartan fanatic in Portugal. So for me, Luis Figo um, is is being the number one and number two and number three for me. He's, he's ultimately for me the, the hero. Uh, Messi is probably the freak of everyone's generation. Uh, and I have to agree that he's probably the best that, that's ever walked on the planet. But Figo for me has, has, always, has always been special. Favorite club? Spartan in Portugal. Favorite music? Um, I'm a big African house fan. I love African house. So that's definitely where my heart goes. Mm, favorite food? Um, I like Portuguese codfish. And there's a particular way of Portuguese codfish that's made. That's that's my go-to place. There's nothing here where I am, but that's my go-to place. Got it. Okay, I'll leave it at that because we're out. But Shane, uh, thank you again for taking the time for joining us on the One Soccer Nation podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.